Dawn and Steve, welcome Dr. Rodelnik for Bible Q&A. If you've got a question, get it in right now to 800-555-7898. And later this hour, David Ann Wilson will be with us. Oh, looking forward to that conversation. But first, your questions about the Bible, because we've got Michael Rydelnik with us, who is the host of Open Line on Saturdays, a uh, dean and professor at the Moody Bible Institute, author of the 50 Most Important Bible Questions. And Michael, you ready to dive into some questions here this morning? Ready. All right. We've got uh, Sherry. Do you, hear, do you hear the music in the background? Music? I no, don't. you got music? Eva's phone was going off to say, it's time for you to go on the radio. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's Keep what me that on track. Was. I thought you were just getting ready to break out into a dance party there. No, no. Okay. So All right. <laughs> well, we've got Sherry, who is uh, texting from Chicago and is saying, I know the Bible's inspired for us to learn from the Bible. But what are we supposed to learn about all the details of the building of the tabernacle in Exodus and then all the temple sacrifice rules in Leviticus? Uh, well, first of all, about the, the, the sacrifice and the tabernacle, you have to put it in the context of the Pentateuch. Uh, it's the restoration of fellowship after Israel has broken the, well, the priests have actually broken the covenant uh, because Aaron's considered responsible for that golden calf. So, the, and there's a renewal of the covenant right in the middle. Uh, well, there's a twofold problem. Okay, I'll just put it this way. In the context, first Israel, most people aren't aware of it. In Exodus 19, it doesn't say that they were supposed to go up to the mountain as most. English versions have it, they were supposed to go up the mountain and receive a covenant. And But the people saw and heard the thunder and the lightning, and they were scared, and they said, Moses, you go up. So uh, Moses went up, and God says, I'm going to give you a tabernacle so there will be a place of fellowship, a restoration of fellowship, a locale where the people will come and experience fellowship. So that's really the context of where the tabernacle comes from. As for the details, if you do a careful study, uh, and there are lots of books and articles written about this, there's a deliberate allusion to the garden, which is part of the same book, the Pentateuch. Uh, and it is deliberate, just like you have the uh, the tree of life in the middle of it. So here you have a menorah, uh, uh, the seven-branch candelabrum, uh, that there's uh, food to eat, there's the bread that you have in the tabernacle. Uh, there's a deliberate attempt to go back to show that this is the place of fellowship. And that's why the details are there, to show a pattern of God restoring fellowship uh, sort similar to the way it was in the garden. So that's why the details are there. As for the sacrifices, to show that God's standard was really clear about what he expected, a pure and spotless life, which we fail to do. So a pure and spotless lamb or ram or whatever, pigeon given, leading us, pointing us, showing us that there's only going to be one sacrifice that would be acceptable to God that would actually take away sin. That's the sacrifice of the Messiah. And therein lies the biggest thing, right? Taking away the sin that we each come with because we can't go to heaven if we're still operating in our sin nature. There's nothing to cover us there. 
Yeah, so we, we the Messiah came in fulfillment. And in fact, you know, in Isaiah 53, it describes the coming Messiah, the servant of the Lord, and it says of him that he will be a guilt offering, referring back to Leviticus. Uh, uh, it uses the Hebrew word asham, uh, guilt offering. And then, of course, the Lord Jesus, it says of him in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who knew no sin to be a sin offering on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Love the just simplicity in some ways of the gospel. Uh, it is so clear how God desires and wants this relationship with each and every one of us. But uh, we will sometimes reject him and sometimes reject him over and over again. And that kind of leads us into Kathy's question here. And she's asking about, does God ever stop giving opportunities for a person to be saved if they have become so hard headed and so hard hearted does he ever say all right no more opportunities in other words and she's giving an example here god had placed a dark spirit in saul after continuous rebellion does that still play out today i think that god is always according in romans it talks about he's always reaching out his hand trying to draw sinners back to him in repentance he's always reaching out i think there are places where people be we don't know what they are, but God does. When they come to a firm rejection, where they have a evil, unbelieving heart, is the way that the book of Hebrews describes it. Uh, and when they cross that line, maybe God gives them up, lets them go the direction. But I never can look at a person and know when that is. Only God does. So I never give up on a person. Uh, and... Uh, I, the only thing I can compare it to, this is a kind of a personal story of what happened. My dad disowned me when I became a believer. He wanted nothing to do with believers. But uh, when he passed away, uh, he was in a kidney failure in a Tel Aviv hospital. My cousin told me this story. She said that uh, someone came in the day before he died. And she saw his name. She was visiting the man in the bed next to her. She was an American person and said, oh, Radelnik, are you related to Professor Michael Radelnik from Chicago? And he said he was my son, but he's dead. Wow. And she responded wow. by sharing the gospel with him. She was a Messianic Jew from America. Uh, she, she talked to him. Uh, my aunt, who was there, got very angry. And then she told my cousin about it, and then they told me. But I thought, here it is, the day before my dad mm -hmm. passed, God sent someone with the good news uh, to him, and no matter how resistant he was. And I think that shows God's heart for people to give them another and another and another chance. Grace, grace, marvelous grace. You go back to those hymns that mean so much to our hearts because they reflect Scripture. Oh, I appreciate that story, Dr. Michael Rydelnik. As we continue to talk about scripture and life, you may have a question. 800-555-7898 is how to get that question in. Sherry, thank you from Chicago. Kathy from Nashville. What about you? Join the conversation, Don and Steve, in the morning. Call us at 800-555-7898. Oh, yes. We love to hear your questions for Dr. Rydelnik. And we have Huey in Chicago asking you about Matthew 25. Jesus is telling us in this passage that we are to feed the poor and 
clothe the naked, visit the sick and imprisoned to be counted with the sheep. And how does this mesh with the teachings that we just have to pray a prayer of salvation to gain eternal life with Jesus? Well, I think, uh, tell me the name of the, the person who wrote that question. Huey. Huey. Huey, I think you're taking that verse completely out of context. Uh, if you look at the context, you always have to ask what prov- provoked uh, this this uh, parable, because that's part of the parable of the sheep and the goats. And uh, it says, it's, the, it's in the eschatological, Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse. And then you've got the parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the talents. Think of something to do while you're waiting for the Lord's return. Then you've got the parable of the sheep and the goats. And listen to what he says about it. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, that's about the return of the Lord, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations, all the goyim, is what the Hebrew word would be, the the Gentile nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. This is at the end of the future tribulation period, and he's going to judge the nations. And how will he do it? He's going to say, did you demonstrate your faith, your genuine faith, by how you treated Israel? Not the poor. When he talks about, I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was a stranger, I was naked, and you cared for me, all those different ways. They said, we don't know. When, what did we do? When did we do that? And he says, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, he's referring there to the Jewish people who are the brothers of the king, the physical brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus, the family, the Jewish people. So he's saying in the tribulation, when there's time of terrible anti-Semitism and persecution, how will you know the Gentile nations that were the, of the Gentiles who were genuine followers of Jesus? those who stood against anti-Semitism and cared for the Jewish people, as opposed to those who joined along with the false messiah's attack on the Jewish people. That's going to be the test. It's related to uh, to Joel chapter 3, which also talks about the Valley of Jehoshaphat and the judgment of the nations there in the Kidron Valley. So here's the point. It's about our attitude toward Israel. If we give our primary application today, it's in opposing anti-Semitism. That would be the, the key principle. Number two, should we be concerned for the poor? Yes, but that ought to be not a cause of our faith, but a reflection of our faith uh, when we care for those who are needy, those who are hungry, those who are needing clothes. I think if we are genuine followers of Jesus, then we ought to care for the poor. Is the spirit of the question, I do think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. I, I think of uh, James, where he talks about what is true religion, to care for the widows and the orphans. And so... Look at the book of Proverbs. Uh, yeah. That the book of Proverbs t- uh, talks more about the poor and generosity than, well, second most, I think. Number one issue is control of our tongue. <laughs> like, yeah. Life and death is the power of the tongue. But... There's great concern. He who lends to the poor is wise, you know, and he'll be blessed. And I mean, that's uh, it's basic to care for the poor, no doubt. Uh, But that's not what really the primary message of the sheep and the goats parable is about. Yeah. 
Well, Huey, we uh, appreciate your question this morning. If you ever have a question about the Bible or maybe something uh, you've heard your pastor say, even something you've heard on Moody Radio, jot that down. Save that for Mondays because that's when we have Dr. Ry- Michael Rydelnik to ourselves taking your questions about the Bible. And we'll, uh, if you text those in throughout the week, we'll kind of gather those and save those up and share them again on Monday. So, Michael, thank you for joining us this Monday morning. Hope you and Eva have a, a great week here at Don and Steve in the Morning. Oh, family life today. You hear that on Moody Radio and David and Wilson have such a heart for our families and for marriages so much so that you are relaunching in an updated version, The Art of Marriage. And we want to talk about that this morning on Don and Steve. We'll connect you to David and Anna and The Art of Marriage through our Facebook page. Just look for the names. This is huge. Relaunching something like this, but you've added some voices to it. Tell us a little bit about this revamping. Dave of uh, the Art of Marriage. Well, the original Art of Marriage, we don't know what we're going to call it. We think we're going to call it Art of Marriage Classic. <laughs> nice. Uh, it one. came out, you know, 30 years ago, and nobody really seemed like it because it had different voices than just one talking head. There was some art and some creativity to it. Uh, Bob Lapine sort of headed at that whole thing, and little did we know that it would end up selling over like a million around the world. People watched it, downloaded it, uh, but it was time for a, a, we call it a refresh, not a redo, but just taking the original idea of multiple voices talking about God's plan from the from the Word of God for marriage and family and some art as well and creativity, and so it's fun. It's moving, uh, and but it's powerful because the voices are 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 unique and diverse, and yet we're all saying the same thing. And so, and as you have relaunched this and refreshed this, how would you envision people engaging with it? Is this to be used in groups? Is this for a husband and wife to use uh, by themselves? How would you encourage people to to use this? I mean, we really envision it seeing couples together, like couples from church together. It could be somebody in your neighborhood, just another couple with you. You can do it individually as a couple. And I mean, no matter what, it's going to be good. But there's something about being in a group, whether it be just two couples, three couples, six couples. There's something about sharing your lives together and even the struggles that you're experiencing in marriage that I feel like it breaks down the walls and God really moves. And honestly, each person in each couple that's speaking and teaching on the art of marriage, they are very honest, very real with their own struggles, their own victories. I think everybody will be able to relate to it. Mm -hmm. And as you've already done this, like Dave said, for 30 years, what are some of the, can you think of a testimony, maybe a recent one where somebody said, listen, we would have been divorced if we had not taken this last chance on the content of the art of marriage. I can. I mean, we just got off the love like you mean at marriage cruise. We just got off of it last night and we were on for seven days with couples. We had multiple couples come up and say, we were done. We had no hope. But as we sat through this with other couples that had struggled or maybe now they were victorious and they were they were really thriving, that one couple's like, we were done. Like we had divorce papers written up. And this is the first time we felt hope. And we're always going vertical, pointing to Jesus as our hope. And I think that's really what made the difference for them. 
So, Dave, do you think both people in the couple need to be engaged in this well or for the, the person who's saying, yeah, I would love to do this, but I don't know that my husband or that my wife would be willing to do this. Is it still a resource to, to use? Oh, yeah. I mean, it can honestly be used by one or the other, but, you know, we, we all know we would hope both of them do it. Uh, like we said, we're on this boat, and everywhere we walk, people are, you know, grabbing us and saying hi to us. Um, we hear multiple stories of guys saying, I didn't want to do it. My wife sort of yeah. said she wanted to do it. I'm like, I'm not doing this stupid thing. <laughs> she put it in. I'm sitting on the couch. And you know what? It's pretty good. It's pretty funny. It's uh, Next thing I know, I sat down, I watched the whole first session. And they're only like 20, 25 minutes, so it's not long. There's six six total sessions. And then there's a workbook, and it's not for the couple. There's one for him. There's one for her. And so you sort of go through it together, but on your own as well. And so, yeah, we've heard stories even from the old, you know, I guess we're going to call it Art of Marriage Classic. Same thing, where people didn't want to do it. They sort of put their toe in the water, and the next thing they knew, they were swimming, and God had met them and changed their marriage. So it's pretty cool how it works. So relatable. I think yep. I think, too, what happens is people, you know, if you haven't done something like this, you, you kind of assume certain things. These couples are going to be perfect. And, yeah. you know, it's not going to relate to me. I think people will be blown away like, whoa, I'm hearing myself through these couples. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the interesting part, especially when it's something we don't want to do and the Lord is in it because he's drawing us closer to himself and he's giving us tools to make our relationships better, particularly our marriages, because that is such a witness to who he is and how he's kind of set up with the bridegroom and the bride and all of those things. But Dave, you know, last night was a big football game. Your team almost made it into the Super Bowl. But I think that's a very relative thing because back 30 years ago when the the Lord would have called you into this work. I mean, what was kind of the story there that God said, Dave, this is what you and Ann are going to do? Well, it's a long one, but the short version is I was a college athlete. I was on a scholarship, played football. And when I got done, I mean, really the last year of my college football career is when I met Jesus and gave me a whole different vision for what mattered in life. And so when I Graduated and came on staff with Athletes in Action. I never could have believed that you could combine the gospel and ministry with sports. And there's a platform, as we all know, millions of people watched that game last night. And one of when one of them gives glory to God, it has an impact that most of us can't have. And so that was always the hope is that we could influence uh, athletes for Christ and then they could use their platform to influence others. And we saw that happen. One year we baptized 27 Detroit Lion players in one season. It was a revival. Uh, nobody in Detroit even knew about it because we didn't win games. And that's all the city <laughs> cared about. But we won men and women and kids to Christ. I love that. I didn't know about that uh, either. But man, over 30 years that you spent as the chaplain of the Detroit Lions now uh, hosting Family Life Today on Moody Radio and many other Christian radio stations across the country talking about the art of marriage with Dave and Ann Wilson this morning. And we're going to come back, continue the conversation. It's Don and Steve in the morning on Moody Radio.
And we have David Ann Wilson with us. You might recognize their names and their voices from Family Life Today here on Moody Radio. And uh, you've probably heard them talk a little bit about, and over the years on Family Life, hear about the art of marriage. And it's been recently updated and re- refreshed, if you will. And uh, one of the things about using material and using a Bible study, and especially one where uh, maybe you're going to talk about something that could be a little bit painful and a little bit personal, is it can be intimidating to jump in and to, you know, say we're going to cover this. And so I appreciate the fact that you guys have put this together in a way that it is usable, that is accessible. And if somebody's saying, I would love to do this, in fact, maybe even potentially lead a group, but I'm a little intimidated. Dave, how easy is it to actually use this curriculum and do this study and lead other couples through it? Well, I think, uh, you know, we're all, we all get intimidated. You know, I pastored a church for 30 years and I still can think I'm going to have people in my family room and I'm going to lead them. I think one of the greatest things about any kind of tool is it's a tool. So the art of marriage is like a guide for you. You put it in on your TV. It's not, you know, you don't have to get a DVD or a, remember VHS. Don't have to do that. Oh yeah. <laughs> you just click on a link and stream it into your TV and it does the work for you. All you got to do is sort of set it up let the video play. It ends the, you know, the leader guide sort of guides you, but it's going to prompt some discussion guaranteed at the end of those 20 minutes, people are going to have things to say because they're all compelling topics. And all you got to do is say, Hey, if you didn't want to even use the workbook, all you would have to do is say, Hey, what do you think? And I guarantee you, you would have a 15, 20, 30 minute conversation that would be life-changing for everybody in the room. Mm-hmm. And let me add too, the first time Dave and I led any kind of marriage study, we didn't even like each other. <laughs> like our marriage was, we were struggling so much. And we thought- We're the last people that should be leading. That's what we thought. Nothing. And so I think so many of us think we can't do it. Our marriage is struggling. Every marriage goes through highs and lows. That's normal. And so we feel disqualified if we're struggling. I promise you that there's other couples that will come in that are struggling as well. A lot of times we just hide our struggles. This will just open up conversations. You're not perfect, but we're most of us are trying to be better. Mm -hmm. And I think therein lies the heart of the whole thing as you take us back to the gospel and what Jesus can do, because there are major threats that every couple is going to face. And you talk about three of them. Can you give us the highlights? What are those three major threats that every couple is like? Yep. Well, I mean, one of the first ones, and it's sort of interesting because when we sat down to be interviewed for the Art of Marriage, they asked us a question. And it ended up in the final product, and I asked them to remove it because it, <laughs> what came out of my mouth was not what I meant, and they liked it. And it, it was the whole idea of selfishness. And I wanted to say, because they asked me, what surprised you when you got married? What was one of the things you remember as a surprise? And my, here's what I wanted to say. I want to say, I couldn't believe how selfish I was, but here's what I said. And it came out. I said, I was just so shocked to how selfish and was and my point was going to be my point was going to be and i'm more selfish but before i could finish my sentence and responds and says what you thought i was selfish and so they I thought you were so selfish they kept it it makes me look like a jerk because i'm like no, she's so selfish it makes me look horrible but, but we are 
Yeah. So you're going to enjoy that one. Just know that. That's one of the threats. That's That one should have ended up on the editor's floor. But I really do think that is the biggest hurdle in marriage is, is our own sin. And we can't see our sin. We can see our spouse's sin, yeah. clear as day. But we are sinners. That's the gospel. Jesus loves us in the middle of our sin and gives us Jesus to save us. And when you live out that, to your spouse, you love her like you're loved. Mm. That's the gospel and that's the beauty. And that's what Art of Marriage really tries to help us understand and, and apply. Mm-hmm. That's how you can see that it applies to our relationships. And there are more threats and more hope and help as they point us to Jesus in the art of marriage, the transformation that can come into our relationships. It's an all new revamp, relaunch. We'll call it Art of Marriage Classic. And now the new one that David and Wilson have given us. You can, you can like get connected to this, if I could use my words, through our Facebook page, Don and Steve in the Morning, or marriage as keyword to 800-555-7898.